Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's usually at this point that I welcome our brothers and sisters from other locations uh, in our NBC church family together, but different pastors are actually preaching at those locations today, so it's just us in this room at Tyson's, as well as those of you who are online. If you're online, we invite you to join us in person whenever you feel comfortable doing that, um, whenever possible, really, and I would particularly point to next Sunday. So we're calling next Sunday Welcome Back Sunday as the fall ramps up, and we're going to gather together for worship and, and talk together about the next season uh, here at NBC. So I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday, and if you're online, we would love for you to be here in person. With that said, today is a special day. It's obviously a holiday weekend, and we've given our Kids Quest workers a Sunday off which means more kids than normal in our worship gathering. We invite kids to join us in worship with your parents every week for parents to bring your kids. This is not just the adult room for worship. This is where the church of all ages gathers together for worship. And we wanted to do a few unique things today to emphasize that, starting with one of the songs we sang earlier, that first song where Thomas was jumping up and down more than normal. Um, And then now in our time in the Word. So we have finished walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Lord willing, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to start a new journey through the Gospel of Mark, which I'll talk more about next Sunday. But as I prayed about where to go in the Word today, my mind immediately went to our Bible reading as a church family. If you're not following along with our church's Bible reading plan, I invite you to get connected with that. You can pick up any time, start today, start tomorrow. It's an Old Testament chapter and a New Testament chapter every week, and there's a a prayer podcast that goes along with it called Pray the Word, and then uh, we have a devotional that goes along with it. So you can get all of the information about that at mcleanbible.org slash get connected. But our Old Testament reading over the last couple of weeks has been in 1 Samuel, now into 2 Samuel, and the life of David. And during our family worship time with our kids a couple of weeks ago, we spent time one day, based on the reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17, acting out one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and then thinking about what it means for our lives. And it was so encouraging in fresh ways in my own life, in Heather's life, in the lives of our kids, and acting it out was memory-making for sure. So I thought, why don't we do that together as a church family? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, a story that people who've never been to church before or who've never read the Bible have likely heard about in some way the story of David and Goliath. And I want to show you the truths at the core of this story. I pray in a fresh way. Specifically, I've been praying three particular prayers for our time together over the next few minutes in this story from Scripture. One, I have prayed specifically for those of you who are here today or watching online who are not currently following Jesus, that 
your life in the next few minutes as we walk this, through this story might be transformed for all of eternity, just as it was for some of the people in our nine o'clock gathering just a little while ago. Two, I've prayed specifically for kids and students. Really thinking about anybody who's headed back to school right now, uh, that you would realize, particularly as a child, as a student, in the next few minutes, what God wants to do in and through your life right now, as a child, as a student. And then third, I've prayed for all of you that as a result of walking through this story, every single person that's gathered, no matter how young or old you may be, whether you've heard this story a million times before or maybe this is the first time you've heard it, that you would walk away deeply encouraged by this story and how it applies to whatever's going on in your life, particularly if you are walking through some challenges in your life. So with that, I mentioned our family acted out this story when it was in our Bible reading a couple of years ago, and we just, a couple weeks ago, and we just used props that we had available to us in our house. So in that vein, I've gathered some props from my house that we're gonna use. And I say that, one, to sufficiently lower your expectations. This is not gonna be professionally done. There have not been hours of practice that have gone into this. There have been minutes of discussion that have gone into this. And two, because I wanna show you that this is something you can do. And I would say you need to do in your house with your family. Parents, find age-appropriate ways to engage your children and teenagers with the Word of God. There is nothing more important for you to do in their lives than to engage them with God's Word. Can I say that again? I'm speaking to every parent in this room, from the youngest child to as long as they're in your home, or they keep coming back to your home, as long as they're there, there is nothing more important that you can do than to teach those in your home to know and enjoy and love God and his word. Amen. More important than you putting physical food on their table tomorrow morning is you giving spiritual food to them that will last forever. Amen. There's nothing. And and so I, I hope this will be a fresh encouragement to you along these lines in a world that tells you to prioritize all kinds of things with your kid, kids. And if you prioritize all those things, you may end up starving their souls from what they need most. So I hope this will be an encouragement to you. And, you, and, and don't think, well, they'll get that at church in this or that program. Sure, but that is supplemental to what they fundamentally need from you in your home, over and above everything else, you can teach them to know and love God and his word. Now, with that said, our church family is a lot bigger than my physical family, so I've tried to think of some ways to include as many people as possible, and particularly kids and students, so I'm gonna ask for some help along the way from some children and Say students, teenagers, I know some of you think you're like super cool and uh, so this might be too cool for, or you might be too cool to do this. That's, it's totally your world. So uh, just whatever you feel comfortable doing. But I'm gonna just engage as many people as possible in telling this story and I've asked a couple people in particular 
to help along the way. So let's start with 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. So you follow along with me in the Bible as I read aloud. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So here's the picture. We have two mountains and a valley between them. Cue picture. All right, so on one side, so this side of the room is gonna be the Philistine army. So I need to recruit a Philistine army in the room. So I'm gonna ask in just a second, any child or student who's not too cool, uh, who's willing, basically anybody school age who's willing to be a part of the Philistine army, uh, and others if, you, if, if you're uh, uh, young in heart, but uh, you feel free to join in to the extent. But those who are, are school age, I'm going to ask you in just a second to stand if you'd be willing to be a part of the Philistine army. And just to let you know, you're not going to leave your seat at any point. You will be just as socially distanced throughout this exercise as you are at this moment. So no extra precautions needed. Um, but if you'd be willing to be a part of the Philistine army, so if you're school age, could you stand where you are right now? Okay, and, and yeah, and you might, if you want, like somebody can stand with you. You can ask like a parent to stand with you if they want to do that. Okay, all right, so we got a Philistine army. There we go. Okay, then we got a Philistine army. Now on this side of the room is our Israelite army. So I need the same group of people over here who would be willing to stand all the way up into the balcony, but on this side, if you're willing to be a part of the Israelite army, take a, to, uh, stand to your feet right now. Okay, there we go, from the front all the way back. Yes, yes. We got flexing going on back there. Okay, this is good. So here's our Israelite army. Okay, now, if you noticed in verse two, the head of the Israelite army is who? King Saul. So we need a King Saul, and I took the liberty of asking if Pastor Thomas, who leads us in musical worship, would be willing to be King Saul. So let me invite Thomas to go ahead and join me out here. There you go. I sent Thomas a message earlier this week asking if he would be willing to do this, and his immediate response was, only if I could get a fake beard. So, it just so happens that I had a fake beard in my house. So, there is a beard for you, King Saul. And, uh, well done, you look, you look good, man. You're aged quickly, like, just like that. Um, I did not have, this is the only prop that I did not have in my house, but I, every king needs a crown. I had like, uh, like princess crowns, but that would just not be appropriate for King Saul. So I found a particular fine dining restaurant that supplies crowns. Yeah. Crown you King Saul. Okay, now all the kids, all the students, Anybody a part of the Israelite army, let's give a loud shout for King Saul. Now, Philistine army, you're not big fans of King Saul, so let's give a round of boos for King Saul from you. All right, just to be clear, that's not appropriate in sports activities. 
you should always have a good sport and be, be a good attitude, have a good attitude for the other team. Don't boo the other team, but it's okay in the Bible, in this story. So, <laughs> all right, so we have the Israelites and the Philistines standing opposite one another. Israelites led by King Saul, and then watch who comes out from the Philistine army, verse four. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. Whoa, yes. I love it. We're getting into this. So <laughs> we need a Goliath, and we need a shield-bearer, so I have taken the liberty to recruit a giant in his own right from among our church family. I tried to think of someone who was toweringly fierce and terrifyingly intimidating. And one name came to my mind. So without further ado, I'm gonna ask him to come in with his shield bearer from the back and he's, he comes forward, we're gonna cue some walk-in music. And I wanna invite the Philistine army to cheer for your champion like you have never cheered before. And feel free, the whole Philistine army, to join in. Are you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, Philistines of all ages, give it up for Goliath, AKA Chris Suarez. Totally out of breath after this long walk in. So let's give it up for Chris Suarez, who works with our students. Goliath, you, you look good. You have a, a nice helmet. Your, your helmet could maybe go a couple big uh, sizes larger. Go ahead and take some water if you need some. Uh, I don't need that. Uh, and then uh, armor. Shoulder pads, that's all I had. Uh, and then instead of a sword, a lightsaber. So a little Star Wars flair to this story. All right. Uh, all right. We're looking at Goliath here, but there's still something in the picture that's missing. It's a small part of the picture that's missing. Not to make a pun of the word small, but Goliath's height was six cubits in a span, which is about nine feet, nine inches tall. And Chris, I don't, I don't think you're quite there. 
But to be fair, none of us are. So if we're gonna have an accurate story though, we need a little more height for you. So could we bring out a ladder? That would be great. Yeah, let's, let's bring out uh, something. Whoa, he's on your side, man, he's on your side. He's, he's, a, he's a fellow Philistine. <laughs> so uh, we need you to be a little taller, Goliath. Oh yeah, there we go. Oh, careful, careful, yes. Yes. Okay. No. It. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> oh, that's been one of my other specific prayers for today: is that no one would get injured. Um, okay. So that's a little more like it. Here we have it: Goliath and the Philistines on one mountain, Saul and the Israelites on the other. And verse eight says, "So this is where I'm going to turn it over to Goliath." Goliath stood. It's okay, it's all right. He stood <laughs> and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Am I not a Philistine and you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But <laughs> if we fight and kill him, then you will become our servants. Yeah. Now, before, <laughs> before Goliath reads this next line, I, I want to point out, the Bible is about to tell us that Saul and the Israelites were very afraid. So when I read that part of the story, I need all the Israelites over here and Saul to act very afraid. So get a look. What does fear look like on your face? Think about sounds of fear you might make. So the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Choose a man to come fight against me. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I don't know if this is a bird chirping or a horse neighing over here. All right, so let's not miss what just happened. Goliath just issued a challenge for a game of one-on-one, -on -one, mano y mano, to the death. Winner take all, ultimate fighting championship, UFC to the extreme. Now, as soon as he does this, the scene here at the mountain pauses, and we shift to a grassy meadow where a boy named David is tending some sheep. And I won't read every word here, but David was the youngest of all of his brothers, and his brothers were actually away, his older brothers were away at this battle, so David's dad, named Jesse, said, why don't you take some food to your brothers there at the front line and make sure they're okay? So David set off to come to the Israelite side of the mountain. Now, we're not told exactly how old David was at this time. Some Bible scholars think he was as young as 13, others think maybe around 15, maybe a little older than that. So I took the liberty to ask one of my teenage boys to be David. He was actually in Goliath. He was actually Goliath when we acted this out, and it didn't work out really well for him Goliath-wise. Spoiler alert. Uh, but uh, I said, maybe you could be David this time. He said he'd be willing to do it. So I want to invite Joshua, my son, to walk in, but different from how the Philistines were cheering for Goliath. I don't want the Israelites to say anything to David. Like, don't even pay attention to this guy walking in. 
And as he walks down, we need to realize nobody was cheering for him. In fact, his brothers didn't even want him there. They thought he was a pest because he was asking questions about this Philistine Goliath. And he's just a boy. He's a shepherd. He doesn't belong on the front lines of battle, even looked down on. When he got to the front lines, he started asking questions. So that's where we pick up if you're following along in verse 26. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from evil? From Israel. From Israel. (laughs) Israel, not not evil. Israel. That's okay. You're doing good, David. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? (laughs) David's asking questions. Wondering, who is this guy that's defying God? Why the army of God is doing nothing about it? So let's pick up now down in verse 31, and these guys can act it out. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said... The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. (laughs) King Saul, about to send teenage shepherd boy David to the front lines out of all the army to battle with Goliath of Gath. Now, at this point, Saul tried to put his armor on David, but David refused. And verse 40 says, David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand. Now, we really don't want anyone to get hurt in this reenactment today. So I did find a slingshot around our house. There's a slingshot. But instead of five smooth stones, I'm gonna provide five ping pong balls (laughs) that are much more kid friendly and much more Chris Suarez friendly. So uh, I'll give you that one. I'll just put these down here by your side. So now we've got David, slingshot, five smooth stones, Goliath, and all of his armor. The battle is now set to begin. The clash of champions, the rally in the valley, the royal rumble. And this corner, weighing 
who knows how many pounds, probably more than David in his armor alone, is Goliath of Gath. All the Philistine army is cheering for him. And in the other corner, a teenage shepherd boy with some ping pong balls, with stones and a slingshot, and all the Israelite army now cheering for him. And David approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine, (laughs) the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Roof, roof, roof. And the Philistine (laughs) cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and feed you to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin and with a green plastic lightsaber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of the the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. All the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and drew near to meet David, but she can't move because of the ladder. David (laughs) ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. Oh! Now to the naked eye, it looks like he missed. But if we rewind it and put it in slow motion, this is what we actually saw. Now it gets kind of graphic after this, so we will not act out the cutting off of Goliath's head. Instead, we'll skip to the reaction of the armies. Verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So Philistine army, start running in place with fear on your face. And verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So you start running and shouting really loud as you do. And in this way, David and, or David and the armies of Israel defeated Goliath and the armies of the Philistines. Let's give it up for our actors all across this room. Uh, You can have a seat. Well done, guys. It's amazing. There's got to be an award coming for that, that acting. 
it's not hard to see why this narrative is so well known, right? Who doesn't love an underdog story? Who doesn't want to picture themselves as David taking on a giant and conquering it in triumph? Coaches give pep talks before sports games using this story. I've seen coaches give their teams to rocks to players and say, we can win this game, especially when they're playing a really, really good team. And they usually lose. (laughs) What is that to lead us to think about this Bible story? Leadership gurus have used this story to motivate corporate leaders to take on new challenges. Secular books have been written using this story to inspire unexpected people to muster up their strength to do extraordinary things. But what if none of these things are actually the reason God gave us this story? Even more, what if many of these things actually miss the entire point of this story? What if the point of the story, the reason God gave it to us, is far greater and far more meaningful than any of these things? I mentioned at the beginning of our time together that I was praying God would use this story in three particular ways. One, for those of you who are not currently followers of Jesus, Two, specifically for children and students. And then three, for all of you who are walking through challenges in your life in some way right now that you might be deeply encouraged today. So let me take those in reverse order. I just wanna bring this story into your lap, into your story, right where you are sitting. First, for those who are walking through particular challenges, there's a tendency to take this story put ourselves in the shoes of the story's hero, David, and think, I may be small, I may be weak, I may not have a lot of resources, but just like the hero, David, in this story, I can overcome any giant that comes my way. But here's the whole problem with that take on this story. David wasn't the hero. David actually did everything he could to make sure that we don't see him as the hero. Did you hear his words to King Saul when he said he could defeat Goliath? Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The Lord has delivered me before and the Lord will deliver me again. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then when David spoke to Goliath, what did he say? Verse 45, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And you skip down that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David knew exactly who the hero of the story would be. Yet so many interpretations and applications of the story miss this completely. And this is so important because we can so easily view ourselves as David in this battle, thinking we can overcome this or we can overcome that, whether it's in a sports game or a corporate challenge or whatever battle we may engage in, trial we may walk through, when the reality is David only defeated this giant because the Lord, the true hero of this story, was with him. 
David only defeated Goliath because he was standing on the word of the Lord and trusting in the power of the Lord and living for the glory of the Lord. And if you're not doing, follow this, if you're not doing those things in any battle you face, then regardless of what you try to convince yourself of, you are not David, you are actually Goliath. Opposing the word and the power and the glory of the Lord. So that's the first takeaway from this story. You might write it down. The Lord God fights battles for those who stand on his word, trust in his power, and live for his glory. Which means then, when you and I face challenges in our lives, first and foremost, we need to make sure, one, that we are standing on the word of God, that we are obeying the word of God. If we're not walking in obedience to the word of God, no matter how we may picture ourselves, we will be found opposing God. And in addition to obeying God's word, standing on his word means trusting his word, trusting his promises to you, that he is with you, that in that battle God is working in ways you don't see, and that God has promised in his word to provide you with everything you need, Stand on God's word, and as you do, to trust in God's power. This is where I hope this story will prove deeply encouraging to you today. I love how David basically says to Saul and the other Israelites, you think this guy is a giant? You clearly don't know the Lord. He's the giant. David knew Goliath was a dwarf compared to God. We need to keep our trials in proper perspective. I don't know what challenges you're facing in your life right now, in your health, in your relationships, what emotions or thoughts or trials, temptations you are wrestling with, but I do know this, none of those challenges are greater than God. And for all who trust in him, our battles belong to him. The battle is the Lord's, verse 47 says. I love this. God, the Lord, fights for those who stand on his word and trust in his power. Fights for you. And he does this for his glory. Verse 47, that all the earth may know that he is the Lord. Don't miss this. The point of this story is not to be brave in the face of giants. The point of this story is to be passionate about the glory of the Lord. What drove David into battle? It was zeal for the glory of God's name, the Lord, Yahweh. And that changes the way you face challenges in your life. Because now when you face challenges in your life, your health, your relationships, your work, whatever it may be, more than you desire anything else, you desire the Lord to be glorified in that challenge. That's a different way to look at challenges in your life. Because now your prayer, first and foremost, is not, God, please take this challenge away, or God, please bring this challenge to an end. Not that it's wrong to pray that, But your prayer first and foremost is, God, please glorify your name in this challenge. However you will, according to your wisdom, 
because I want your glory more than I want this challenge taken away. I want your glory more than I want fill in the blank anything else. I think about men and women across our church family that I've walked alongside amidst physical struggles even right now. Thinking about a conversation I had this morning. Saying, I, I want this to go away. But even more than that, somebody's saying, I want God to be glorified. And if that means this challenge endures, then I'll pray that his glory will be made known all the clearer as a result. That's what's happening here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So for this perspective in our lives as we face challenges and in this world, think about it. We say to one another the Great Commission every Sunday when we leave this room. But if we're going to make disciples of all the nations, starting right here in this city and then beyond this city in places like Afghanistan or Yemen or Somalia or North Korea, that's that's willingly entering into challenges. This is what Jesus has called us to do in the Great Commission. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we make sacrifices? Why do we change our life's plans? Why do we rearrange our spending for the spread of God's gospel among the nations? Why? Because we want God's glory in this city. We want God's glory among the nations more than we want anything else. This is biblical Christianity. Not sitting back in fear like the Israelite army on the sidelines of this great commission. Well, it's stepping forward. There's a spiritual battle raging for the souls of our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and three billion people in the world who've never even heard the name of Jesus. So where's the brother, sister, man, woman, child who will step into the battle for the souls of others that they might know the goodness and the love and the power and the word and the glory of our God. Amen. That's, that's the point of this story, that all the earth may know the salvation of our God. This is what we live for. We stand on God's word, we trust in God's power, we live for God's glory, and as we do, be confident. Every battle we face will belong to him. And he will fight for those who are doing these things. Now that leads to the second takeaway, specifically for students and kids. So just, I'm thinking anybody who's, uh, so college age, maybe down, but starting back to school. And the reason I want to make this application today, obviously, is we're at this season here, the beginning of the fall, where going back to school in different ways, a time where you are technically training, learning for the future. But based on this story, I wanna remind you what God wants to do in and through your life in the present, like right now. So anybody school age, picture this 13, 15, 17 year old. We don't know how old David was exactly, but we do know he was looked down on as being too young, even ignored as being too young. But David knew something, and I pray that every child, every teenager in this church family would know that it is not your age that is most important. You would know what David knew, that when you're standing on the word of God and trusting in the power of God and living for the glory of God, that kind of faith 
at 13, 15, 17, can defeat giants and armies that even kings are afraid to face. So here's the second takeaway, specifically for students. Ask God to do amazing things in and through you during this school year for his glory. I wanna, I wanna challenge the next generation in our church family. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about taking on a bigger guy at school or defeating a harder team in sports. I'm talking about something much greater than that. I'm talking about you, elementary, middle, high school, college, reading and memorizing God's word in ways you'd never have before. So you have something to stand on no matter what this world brings you. And all kinds of battlefields that you're in, in our culture. I'm talking about praying at a whole nother level. Think about one middle schooler who committed to pray every day through the people in his yearbook, just praying over every name, every face, for them to come to know Jesus and looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them. That kind of praying is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about students carrying their Bibles around with them at school, initiating Bible studies at school, starting Bible studies in your homes, sharing the gospel with your friends in your neighborhood or on that team or in that club or whatever it may be. I'm talking about getting together with friends and going to the mall or other public places just to share the gospel with other people. I'm talking about sacrificing any money, any money you make from work or an allowance you get for the spread of the gospel. I'm talking about college students seeing your campus as a mission field, coming up with creative ways to spread the gospel on it. I'm talking about serving in local outreach, signing up for mission trips once we're able to re resume them. I'm talking about students who moved here this weekend to start our gap year program that starts today. Let me ask them, them and their families, they're over here, would you just guys just stand and let's thank God for his grace and then you guys stand up with you and your families. These are, for the most part, high school graduates who from all over the United States who have come here to spend the next nine months saying before we go to college, before we start making decisions when it comes to job and majors and future and marriage or anything else, we wanna make sure that we are walking deeply with Jesus and we're driven by zeal for his glory among the nations and that's gonna drive every decision we make. Like, don't forget, don't forget, there, there are cults, there are cults whose parents will raise their kids to spend a year out of high school spreading a false gospel all around the world. It's time for those with the true gospel to start having different expectations for our kids in this world. So thank you guys, you're gonna have a seat. This is what I'm talking about. Students of all ages following the footsteps of David, refusing to say, I'm only this old so I can can't do this or that, instead saying, I want God to do amazing things in and through my life right now for his glory. And for parents to set an example for what that looks like, to build that kind of faith in the next generation and to show what that kind of faith looks like in action. Students will not be what they cannot see. So let's show them what this kind of faith looks like what God wants to do in and through the next generation for his glory. And then, so finally, I mentioned I was praying that God might use walking through this story today to transform some people's lives for all of eternity. And right before I came out of here, I heard a story of 
exactly this that happened earlier this morning. And I said that because the ultimate purpose of this story is to point us to a much, much greater story. Ultimate purpose of this battle, to point us to a much, much greater battle. One fought not in the middle of a mountain in Judah, but one fought at the center of all history. On one side, an adversary called the devil, whose aim is to destroy every single one of our lives. The liar, the tempter, the slanderer, the deceiver, who has lured every single one of us away from God and God's ways for our lives. Who is able to stand against Satan? None of us. All of us have been wooed by him to defy God in our lives. And as a result, all of us deserve death, the just judgment due our sin. So where is the one who can defeat sin? Where is the one who can defeat Satan? Where is the one who can conquer death? Where is the one who is able to give life? And over here, out of the meek shadows of a stable in the town of Bethlehem, the city of David, steps an unlikely champion from the line of Jesse. And he steps forward and he stares temptation in the face day after day, year after year of his life. And he never once gives in. And then, even though he has no sin to die for, he willingly chooses to pay the price of death for sinners. He willingly goes to a cross where he breathes his last breath and is buried in a tomb. And it looks as though the adversary has won. Until three days later, he rises from the grave. Who is this unlikely champion, you ask? His name is Jesus. Amen. He is the Lord. And all who trust in this champion will be forgiven of all their sin and given life forever with him. This is the ultimate story that has the power to change all of our stories for all of eternity. This is the third primary takeaway from this story. What's this story about? It's about the truth that Jesus has defeated Satan. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And he gives eternal victory to everyone who trusts in him. Maybe another way to put it, Jesus has slain the ultimate giant. Jesus has won the ultimate victory, and he is worthy of all of our trust. That's the point of 1 Samuel 17. Not trust in yourselves to go out and be brave and fight the giants in your life. No, that's foolishness. No, put all your trust in Jesus, and every giant you face 
He will fight for you and with you as you stand on his word, as you trust in his power, and as you ask him to do amazing things in and through your life for his glory. That's the real meaning of 1 Samuel chapter 17. So will you bow your heads with me? I just want to lead us right before God based on his word, what we've just seen. And I want to lead us in a time of prayer specifically in light of these three groups that I've talked about today. So one, in just a moment, if you're walking through challenges in your life right now, battles you're facing, you need God to fight for you. And in just a second, I'm gonna invite you, just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just for you to raise your hand in just a second, all across this room, those of you who are watching online, and this is just for you to acknowledge in a physical way before God, I need your help, and I just wanna pray over you. So if you would say that, yeah, I'm walking through some challenges, I'm walking through some battles right now, would you just raise your hand all across this room, wherever you might be online, and I just wanna pray over you. Keep that hand up, God, we, we pray for every single person their hand raised right now, you, you see them, you know them. You know their battles better than they even know them. You know those trials, you know every single detail involved with them. So God, we pray, based on 1 Samuel chapter 17, for all who trust in you, may they know this battle belongs to you. May they know that. May they know that you are with them. That your word is for them. God, we pray that you would protect them from every attempt of the adversary to fill their minds with lies, with deception about who they are, about what's happening here or there, about who you are. God, may they know they are loved by you. May they know that they can trust you, that in the waiting you are working, in the hurt you are healer, that Amid sorrow, you provide comfort. God, may you give peace that passes all understanding. You guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And provide everything they need according to the glorious riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would give them faith on days when faith is hard to come by. You would help them to endure, to patiently endure, that you would be glorified in your provision in them, through them. And God, we pray that you would help them to hold fast to you, to draw closer to you through this trial, experiencing your provision, to draw closer to you than they have ever been before. We pray this in Jesus' name. You can put your hands down. We'll continue just in an attitude of prayer. I want to pray for that second group. And so I'm going to invite every school age, child, student, teenager, college student, uh, I want to I pray specifically for you in light of 1 Samuel 17. So could you just raise your hand if you are in preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, just any school age. I just want to pray over you. God, you see all these hands. and God, I pray that they would know how much you love them. I pray they would know you love them so much that you have sent your son to die for them. God, I pray that you would 
draw them to yourself amidst all the attempts of the adversary to pull them away from you, all the battles that are being fought around them in this culture, God, that you would draw them to yourself, you would guard them, keep them, protect them, and then, God, that you would bless them for the spread of your glory through them. We pray that you'd use them to lead others to Christ. Pray that you would give them bold faith. They would not settle for anything less than all that you desire for their lives right now. You would use them on school campuses, that you would use them in friends' lives and neighbors' lives. You would use them on sports teams and in clubs and all kinds of different places where they are on college campuses. God, you spend their lives for your glory, we pray. Help them to experience the radical joy of walking with you in a way that's totally different than anything else this world offers. May they find their deepest satisfaction in you. May you raise up, oh God, a generation in this church family that loves you more than life itself is living for the spread of your glory however you desire. We pray that over every single hand raised in Jesus' name. You can put your hands down and then I want to pray for that last group. And I want to ask all across this room and Again, those online, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin, to give you eternal life with him? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, then I wanna invite you today to put your faith in him. And if you're willing to do that, again, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just lift your hand right now is a picture of you saying, today, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Today, I want to follow Jesus. Today is the day. Oh, God, you see these hands. We praise you. That salvation belongs to you. That everyone who calls on your name as Lord will be saved. It's because they raise their hand and say in their hearts, save me, oh, God, from my sin. Trust in Jesus champion is the savior lord of my life god may they know that this moment is the defining moment for all of eternity for them and may they walk with you from this day forward and experience your victory in every way over sin and ultimately by your grace over death. Jesus, we praise you for dying for our sin, for rising from the dead. We praise you as the ascended Lord on high right now. We exalt your name as our champion, and we say all of our trust is in you. All of our hope is in you. All of our joy, all of our peace is in you. You are the hero. We're not. We're definitely not the hero. So, Exalt yourself as the hero in our lives and through our lives. And we pray that you would lead us, guide us individually, families, and as a church family for the spread of your glory as the champion here in this city and among the nations. We pray all of this in light of your word to us today in 1 Samuel chapter 17. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen.